Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Good evening, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Welcome to another episode of Steelers Friday Night Six Pack. I'm your host, as always, Tony Defio, and I thank you for joining me on this very, very, very frigid Friday evening in Pittsburgh. Uh, last I checked, it was below it's three degrees below zero. Uh, and as I usually say, I hope it's nice and warm wherever you are, but it doesn't seem like it's warm where anybody is right now. Seems like the United States is being like the entire country is being hit by a some weird winter storm called Elliot. I don't know, but maybe you're in another part of the world where it's tropical and lovely. And I, I hope that's the case for you on you know, two days before Christmas. And before I continue with tonight's show, I want to ask you to please like and subscribe to our Behind the Store Curtain YouTube channel. We bring you live shows each and every day and night, including this show uh, at Every 5 p.m. on Friday, Eastern Time, we have the uh, Touched on Under show with Maddie Peverall and Mark Davison. We have the post-game show after every Steelers game, whether it's on Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays, whatever. Uh, this week could be Saturday night. Uh, we have the We Run the North podcast with Kevin Tate and his friends. They talk about all things AFC North related. Monday, we have The Hangover with Brian Anthony Davis, Shannon White, and yours truly. We talk about the previous day's Steelers game. Tuesday, we have the Scobro Show with Dave Schofield and Rich Schofield. Wednesday night, we have Know Your Enemy with Jeffrey Benedict and Shannon. Thursday, we have the Steelers Preview Show with Jeff Hartman, Dave Schofield, and Brian. I believe that's it. And you can catch all those shows also live on Facebook. And you can catch all those shows after the fact 
on any audio platform of your choosing. Now, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen, as seems to be a regular occurrence for me on Friday nights anymore. I seem to be getting muted and uh, problems with my mic, but hopefully it wasn't too long and too bad. Uh, anyway, you can catch all of our live shows after the fact on any audio platform of your choosing. I like iHeartRadio, but wherever you can find them, uh, they're there. So if that made any sense, but I'm flustered with my technical difficulties. Anyway, we also have audio only shows that we, we, uh, record for you. And then you can listen to them on any audio platform of your choosing, including let's ride with Jeff Hartman, the stat geek with Dave Schofield. Here we go to steal the show with, uh, Brian Anthony Davis and Kevin Smith from the cutting room floor with Jeffrey Benedict. What you're talking about with Kyle Christ and his his gang, the Steelers fix with with uh, Andy Wilbar and Jeremy Betts, the war room with Matty Peverall, um, state of the Steelers with uh, Daniel J. Uh, of course, we have anytime there's breaking news, anytime there, there's a need for a, a breaking podcast, we'll get that for you as well. And of course, the current commentary film breakdown. Stop shot your devils first in 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 the store tonight. Welcome, Jared Devils. Who's putting up the frozen emojis? How appropriate. Claude Bishop, who says, Merry Christmas, Jared Devil. And everybody else, Jailer Chick 46 and Tony. Well, Merry Christmas to you too. Claude Bishop, and I'm glad you're with us tonight. We have to talk about something very very somber and depressing. Massing Harris. Uh, we all got the news Wednesday morning. I got it first thing Wednesday morning. My brother texted me and I just couldn't believe it. And then I, of course I started verifying it on Twitter and every uh, reputable source was, was uh, confirming the fact that Franco Harris, the Steelers legend and, and the man who was set to be honored uh, Saturday night, uh, with by having his number 32 number jersey uh, retired uh, in commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, uh, the play that he starred in, the most famous play in the history of the NFL. As far as I'm concerned, the most famous play in the history of sports. And um, uh, when I when I when I just when this sunk in, I, I just couldn't believe it. It just seemed so surreal, like it was not real. You know, I mean. You know, yeah, he was 72, which uh, I guess a lot of people think is old. But really, in, in today's day and age, is it really considered to be old? No, I mean, our, our last two presidents were older than that. So, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. And he was he seemed to be the picture of health. I mean, he was making the rounds in the days and weeks before uh, what was to be his, his big night, you know, talking about it, uh, doing interviews interacting with the fans, uh, meet and greets, interview, everything. And, you know, he was being interviewed Tuesday. People spent time with him on Tuesday, talked to him on Tuesday. And he was the 
picture of health uh, for a 72 year old man. I mean, he looked to be in fantastic shape. So it was just a shock yeah, that this would happen. I mean, it's, it's never a, a good time for anybody to pass away, but for it to happen days before really the biggest moment of his, uh, his post, I mean, I, I, it's just, it's just a shock. And, and, and of course every, everybody, you know, you heard countless stories of, of how much of a, a uh, accessible figure Franco was in a community with 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 his teammates uh, from the seventies and eighties. Obviously, with, with even with with current players, people like Pat Fryermuth uh, talked about him. Uh, uh, Cordell Stewart, uh, he was interviewed uh, the other day. He mentioned. The relationship that they had with that he had with Harris and how he always called him Mr. Harris and not Franco because you know he was born in the year that that uh, Harris came into the league and 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 started in the Immaculate Reception. So you know everybody was, was sharing their stories. Everybody se- seemingly had a story about about Franco. A friend of mine uh, sent me a picture of him posing with with Franco uh, recently. Um, I even had a slight encounter with Franco a few years ago. I never, I didn't really meet him actually, but I was waiting to, uh, to, to run, you know, I, I participate in these running groups every week and I was in Shadyside in front of Mario's bar in Shadyside. There was, there were a group of us and we're all waiting to get our run started. And I looked to my right and, oh my gosh, it's Franco Harris. And it was like seeing a God walking down the street. I mean, this is a, to me, a mythical figure from the '70s that I, that I grew up watching as a little kid in the early '80s, um, walking past me with a few other people, and you know I didn't really say anything to him. I, I didn't want to bother him. Um, somebody in the crowd shouted out, "You know, hey, Franco!" You know, and 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 then he went about his business. That so that's really the closest I got to to meeting him. But it seemed like everybody has a story of, of how they met Franco and how they interact with him, even ever so briefly. You know. They, Talk how, how again, how accessible he was. How he always took the time to to talk to to everybody from from you know his old teammates to current Steeler players to uh, these you know quote important figures to just your your everyday fan. He he made everybody feel special, like like he was their best friend. You know, so you just you heard the, those stories, and to me. You know, when I, when I think about about Franco Harris and, and and how just much of a part of Pittsburgh, a fixture in Pittsburgh, he became uh, starting in 1972. It, it, it kind of reinforces what I said a few months ago when when I found out that that they were going to be retiring officially his number 32 jersey uh, on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, and, and that's it. He kind of started. What we, what we know today as Steeler Nation. I mean, he kind of changed the culture within the stands, within the fan base, you know, meaning, you know, the Steelers were not number one in, in Pittsburgh for 40 years. They probably weren't even number two or three. I mean, they were just, they were, they were down the line in terms of, of, of relevance and importance when you're talking about a, the, the sports landscape in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, it has been said millions of times that Mean Joe Green changed the culture in the organization, in the in the locker room. Uh, he he got he made sure his teammates 
were always accountable and it was always about winning and, and doing what was best for the team. And he, he refused to accept losing. And he demanded that of his teammates, of his coaches, even, even, even all the way up to the top. I mean, he demanded uh, that they change their, their way of, of thinking. And, you know, he took them from the same old, same old Steelers as a player anyway, and to what, you know, they eventually became, and that's one of the marquee franchises in all of sports. So Joe Green's always been credited with, with that. You know, you talk, you ask anybody who's the most important Steeler player ever, who's the best Steeler ever. It's always Joe Green. That's what people say. And it's hard to argue with that. But if you're talking about, if you, if you, if, if you were to ask me who changed the culture in, within the fan base, who, who helped make the Steelers cool and, and the most important thing in town as far as the passion and, and the fervor, it was Franco Harris. Because it, what's the most imp- uh, famous fan club in pro- probably Pittsburgh sports history? And that's Franco's Italian Army. And it, and it started in 1972, Franco's uh, rookie year. Uh, uh, you know, he, he, he was half African-American and half Italian. And, and uh, because of his Italian her- heritage, uh, the Italian army was started. And, and, you know, by the end of the year, he's, he was meeting Frank Sinatra, the chairman of the board. You know, he came and greeted him on, on a uh, practice field one day. They inducted uh, Sinatra as an honorary member of the, of the uh, Italian army. And of course, uh, that season, many other player fan clubs popped up, and you saw this all throughout the 70s, right? I mean, you know, you saw the Banners, uh, Banazax, Bunch, Lambert's Lunatics, Jarellas, uh, uh, Gorillas, all that stuff, right? You saw this all throughout the 70s. And, you know, during that time as well, the Terrible Towel was created by, by Myron Cope, and that became like the unifying symbol of the fan base. And, you know, that all coincided with, with um, the decline of the steel industry and, and so many people having to migrate to other parts of the country and even the world for, for work. And, of course, they had, they, they had to live out that way. They, 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 they stayed out that way and wherever they, they, they um, wound up. And they had kids and grandchildren, and, and they passed that love for the Steelers down to them. So now, like today, when you when you – when you talk about the fan base, what do you call it? Steeler Nation. And it's worldwide. It's not nationwide. It's worldwide. It's international. And uh, to me, that all started with, with Franco Harris. He, he was like the first player, in my opinion, that sort of galvanized the fan base. And it wasn't just Italian people that identified with him. It was African-American people. Everybody identified with him. You know, you're talking about somebody in the early 70s that was of mixed race. And it, that, that wasn't an easy thing. Uh, to, to have to be in the early seventies. I mean, you know, you're talking about the, the climate of, of the time, the sociology of the country in the early seventies, being of mixed race was not easy and it's not even easy today, but certainly not in the early seventies yet. Franco was able to, to transcend all that. And, you know, he was accepted by everybody. He was embraced by everybody. And of course it helped that, that he was successful right away. I mean, he was a, he rushed for a thousand yards. Um, he was the offensive rookie of the year. And of course it all uh, culminated in the immaculate reception uh, that just the most improbable play in the history of sports, in my opinion. And uh, you know, he, he gave Pittsburgh, the Steelers their first ever postseason win. So 
you know, I, I just think he, he meant so much uh, to the, to the fans and to the city of Pittsburgh and to his teammates. And, you know, like I said, Joe green, he helped to change the culture, the, the mindset. He, he helped to bring about a winning mindset in that locker room, you know, but Franco, I think he helped um, make the Steelers cool and, 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 and he, he brought out that passion in people. He made people want to cheer for them and, 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 and they became the, the, the top team in the city, probably uh, no later than the mid seventies, but certainly it all started in 1972. And he even said it was like the whole city was waiting for that year forever that magical 1972 season they had done nothing for 40 years and suddenly you know they're an 11 win team they win the division and, and they win their first playoff game ever so you know that's what when i think of franco and and, and what he meant to the the organization I, I think of it in a way of, of him helping to create this fan base this crazy passionate sometimes insane fan base that that's that spawns the entire globe uh, or that's, that's, that, that was Franco's contribution. But, you know, even beyond that, I don't, I think people, they appreciate the kind of running back he was, but I don't think they actually realize how good he was, uh, as a running back. I mean, when you're, when you're a, even, even though he was the first battle hall of famer, when, when you're part of a, uh, such a, 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 um, a, a a group of 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 generational players like superstar true superstar hall of fame talent which there were 10 of them on that on those 1970s super bowl teams you know there, you know and but you know i think franco was as as good at his position at running back as any Steeler great ever was at, at theirs you know you look at uh, at his numbers you know first of all when he retired finally in 1984 after he had his his contract dispute with Pittsburgh and training camp that year. And uh, they released him and he went to Seattle and he, he, he had a cup of tea there before, before they released him in the middle of the year. He retired, retired with more carries than any player in the history of the NFL. And to me, if you, if you want to uh, talk about, if you need an example of, of what Franco meant to the Steelers on the field, uh, and, and, and their identity, their philosophies, you know, Chuck Knoll, his philosophy, what he wanted out of his football team. You know, he always said before you can win a game, you have to first not lose it. Right. And that started with controlling the ball, uh, out hitting your opponent, uh, winning in the trenches and of course running the ball. And, and that was their identity, even through the late seventies and into the early eighties when they were passing it a lot more, you know, with the, with the, uh, more liberal, uh, Bank DeFranco and his uh, contributions on the field. Reti- again, he retired with more carries, 2,949, than any back anybody in the history of the NFL. And to me, that spoke to his his durability, and you know, his consistency. And and you know, people always criticize Franco for for going out of bounds rather than trying to, you know, um, get an, an extra hit in on his way out of you know, like try to get that ex- that one la- one last hit maybe get one, one uh, last yard. But, uh, you know, to quote Phil Villapiano, who was, who was uh, a Raiders legend, part of those great 70s Steelers-Raiders battles, 
Um, anybody who ever said that Franco wasn't tough never tried to tackle him. And of course, you know, Filipiano, I mean, he was very, he's always been very vocal about uh, the immaculate reception and how he thought the Raiders got jobbed. But he was also, he also became great friends with Franco Harris over the years. I mean, they were great friends. So to me, that's quite an endorsement when you're talking about toughness. You know, this whole, like Jim Brown was very vocal about, you know, uh, he was almost offended that, that Harris almost almost surpassed him in yardage. Um, you know, he, he, he almost came out of retirement in 1984 to try to make sure Franco didn't pass him in yardage. You know, that kind of uh, that macho alpha BS. You played 12 plus years in the NFL as a running back. And, and, and you accomplished as much as Franco Harris did. You are freaking tough. And he was tough. You know, he was fast. He was big. He was shifty. He could run by you. He could run over you. He could do all those things. And in a weird way, you know, if Franco was on a, like a, like a Bills team, uh, maybe you know, if he swapped places with, with uh, Walter Payton and was on the Bears, people might real, like recognize him more as, as an all-time great back. They still do. But I think he, you know, he's he he was so lumped in with all those other '70s great Steelers superstars that uh, uh, he kind of, you know, it's just considered like all of them, like a, another cog in the machine, a great machine. But you know, individually, he was fantastic. And and you know, when he retired, he was only 192 yards behind Jim Brown. Uh, uh, Walter Payton obviously uh, set the record. Uh, he broke the record in 84. So, he, you know, Franco, even if he did break it, it, it would only have been briefly. But he did retire 192 yards behind Jim Brown. And his last regular season game as a Steeler in 1983, he he, he uh, set the record for most 1,000-yard uh, seasons in a career. He, he, he surpassed Jim Brown in Cleveland, mind you. You should look that up on YouTube. Uh, there's a, a great uh, channel. It's called uh, uh, Jaguar Gator nine guy has great content. And, and he, he talked about the controversy uh, during that game. The Steelers wanted the Browns PA announcer to, to congratulate Franco in, in Cleveland's uh, stadium for breaking Jim Brown's career uh, mark of, of for thousand yard seasons. So to me, that's a testament. And you look at, you look at what he did in the postseason, meaning Franco Harris. You know, here's a guy who has more Super Bowl yards than any running back in the history of the NFL. He started four Super Bowls. And to this day, he's second all time in yardage in the postseason with 1,556 yards. Okay. The guy was a fantastic, not just, you know, he's known for the immaculate reception, four time Super Bowl champion, but he was a fantastic running back. He was a, he was a, uh, when he when he came along and 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 began to do his thing and and you look at how his career evolved when he was done i mean he was as good as any running back who ever came before him and or during his career he was that good to 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 to, to be that durable and, and be that consistent and 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 be that clutch in the big games that like like he was I mean, you know, Franco Harris, obviously, you know, he, he's, he's gotten all the accolades he, he'll ever need. He ever needed uh, both uh, on the field and, and after his, his, his during his career and after his career. But I think people need to like just look up his numbers and see just what he did. 
and not just regular season, but postseason, the consistency and see where he ranks. You know, you look at like the running backs that, that, that came before him and played during his career. He's still like number one, I think, in, in, in carries uh, for the, for the, for the, the running backs that, that, that played during his, his, uh, his time. I mean, he's still ahead of them, if I'm not mistaken, or he's close anyway. And as far as yardage, he's still right up there with all his contemporaries. And, and of course, the people who came before him, he's ahead of them. So just, just check it out. Uh, go on Pro Football Reference and look up Franco Harris's stats. They're, they speak for themselves. So on that note, on the uh, at the 24.45 mark, I will uh, take this time to allow you to hear a word from our sponsors. And I will be right back. Do not go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the second half of Steelers Friday Night Six Pack. I'm your host, Tony Defio. And uh, thank you for sticking with me. It's not not been the, the uh, you know, obviously the, the, the news of uh, Franco's passing ha- has made it a difficult uh, week and sort of a, a surreal show for me, but it's also technical difficulties had me a little bit peeved off. Uh, but I better not swear because I might not get anything for Christmas. It's only two days away. Well, let's see. We have the live chat here, and this is uh, from uh, Steeler Nation 412. I hope God saved a seat up there for Franco because it's going to be an electric game. The whole city of Pittsburgh will be coming, counting on the Steelers to win it for him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, again, when you think about it, all, all the festivities uh, the Steelers had planned for Saturday night, um, you know, all the, all the greats from the 70s, uh, or a lot of them anyway, we're, we're in town or are in town for, for this occasion. But I think I, I heard an interview with Rocky Plyer. I think some of, some of that's been canceled because of the, the somber news of and the, and, the, and the shocking news of, of Franco's passing. But they're still going to honor him. They're still gonna, going to uh, retire Franco's number at halftime, I believe, of the game. If I'm not mistaken, I think they announced that they're going to they're gonna paint the – they've painted the end zones gold uh to kind of as a uh sort of a a, a call back to 1972 when 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 the uh the end zone was gold or the end zones were gold so you know it's, it's still going to be a, a special it's going to be a cold night i know that a very cold night you have two six and eight teams uh going at it so from what i understand the attendance is, isn't expected to be uh that high but hopefully um there's a nice walk-up crowd, but you know it's hard to. It's kind of understandable in a way because it is Christmas Eve. It is going to be bitterly cold. I mean, historically cold. Uh, I was at the 
lowest attended game in Heinz Field history in 2013. And it was like 25 degrees or 20 degrees, something like that. It was bitterly cold because of the wind chill. But like tonight it's legit cold. It's like it's below zero. And tomorrow it's supposed to be close to the same around game time. So uh hopefully uh it'll it'll be a, an electric night and 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 uh a, a fitting tribute to, to to Franco. Um as far as the game, you know, I was looking at and I'm gonna get back to Franco in a bit, but it, it's gonna be a challenge. Uh one of the live chatters uh in the beginning of the show, I didn't have time to highlight it because I was talking about Franco. Uh talked about uh the concern for 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 covering Devontae Adams, the, the Raiders' um, uh, fantastic receiver. And that's a, 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 a legit concern. I mean, Adams is one of the best in the business. And the Steelers' secondary, I don't think is that fantastic. It's, it's you know, at least not the, def- the uh, cornerbacks anyway. So it's going to be a challenge. Um, but it's not just uh, Adams. It's, it's, it's uh, Waller, the tight end, Josh Jacobs, the, the running back. They have a fantastic uh, quarterback. I don't know I say fantastic, but he's a really good quarterback in Derek Carr, who's given them fits in the past. So it's going to be a challenge for them offensively. I don't expect it to be a high-scoring game, uh, mainly because of the uh, the weather. I mean, I think the, the, if, if you're in Pittsburgh, you know that the, uh, uh, the wind has been gusting all day, and it's supposed to be around the same way to, same conditions tomorrow night, Saturday night. So – I don't expect it to be a a, 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 a a night where the passing game dominates. I think it's going to be a game that's won in the trenches, which kind of would be fitting since that's what – that was the climate back in 72 when these two teams met in the uh, divisional round. Um, I think, you know, as far as uh, Pittsburgh winning this game, I think it's going to – again, they're going to have to rely on the, on the, on the, on the ground game. Um, it's not going to be a great night for passing for Pittsburgh or Oak or Oakland, Las Vegas. So uh, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, the winner of this game stays alive for the playoffs temporarily and, and still hanging on by a thread. The loser is, is officially eliminated. So uh, there are some, some things at stake. Um, I was looking at the uh, tiebreakers, uh, the scenarios and Pittsburgh basically has no tiebreakers going into the last three weeks. Essentially, the teams that are in front of them, and right now they're in 13th place. Uh, they're officially eliminated from, from winning the AFC North, by the way, in case you didn't know that already. And they can't even beat the Ravens out for second place. Even if they win their last three games and beat the Ravens, the Ravens will win on like the fourth tiebreaker, which is a common opponent. Uh, so basically what they're hoping for is the sixth or seventh seed. And essentially, of all the teams that are in front of them, uh, only one, if they, if they, assuming they went out, let, let's say they went out to finish nine and eight, only one other team between the Chargers, Dolphins, uh, Jets, Patriots, and uh, Jaguars or Titans, whoever, whoever loses the uh, NFC or I'm sorry, AFC South, only one other team can finish nine and eight. So if two other teams in front of them finish nine and eight, they are out because, um, uh, of tiebreakers. I mean, they have an atrocious conference tiebreaker, or I'm, I'm sorry, conference record. They're two and seven right now. The best they can do is five and seven. Nobody else that would finish nine and eight would, would finish with, with a uh, worse record than six and six in the conference. And then, of course, you, you, you throw in the, the fact that, they, that they're 
they would lose a, tie, a head-to-head tiebreaker with the Patriots, the Jets, and the Dolphins. So their chances, that's why their chances right now are like 0.07, I think I heard on Friday, 0.07 of making the playoffs. So essentially they have to win out, and they have to, they have to hope that the Jets finish 1-2. and two. They lost on Thursday night to the Jags, so that's one loss for them. They have to hope that the Patriots won in two. And they have to hope that either the Chargers and or the Dolphins finish 0-3. And, and, and the Jags finish 1-2. and two. So that's what has to happen for them to make the playoffs. Bare minimum, the Chargers have to finish 0-3 or the Dolphins have to finish 0-3. If only one of those teams finishes, then the Jets, um, Patriots, and, and Jags all have to finish one and two and they have to obviously win their last three games. That's how they make the playoffs. No other, they're not going to win any tiebreaker. I don't care what it is. They're not going to win any tiebreaker. So uh, essentially tomorrow is, is, is uh, a playoff game for them, but that's only temporarily because they could be eliminated by, by, by as soon as Sunday. If both the chargers and dolphins win, if both of those, they're both eight and six, if they both win Pittsburgh's eliminated. So, that's one thing that you know they can you know, you, you can hang your hat on tomorrow night if you're watching that game is Pittsburgh can still at least uh, eliminate the Raiders and stay alive, albeit maybe temporarily. So, all right, let's see what else we have in my chat. And it's from Cheryl Chick forty six, who says Bad needs to get Tony a new mic. I'm not sure if it's a mic or if it's just internet or what it is, but it happens every Friday. Maybe it is the mic. I don't know if there's anything, if there's if, if a new mic would even help, but it is annoying. I don't, it's not like I, I skip rope with this, with the mic cord in between podcasts. So I don't know why uh, every little nudge uh, makes me lose, uh, lose sound, but it is, it is annoying. And I do apologize because I, I, I want to put you guys, I want to, I want to put on a good show for you guys. And as you can see, when this kind of stuff happens, I start to talk too fast and I get mad and I stutter and I, everything I'm prepared to say you know, I lose focus because of these technical problems, but whatever, it's not the end of the world. Here's one first for 11 about Franco. And he says, my favorite Franco play was a 22 yard TD run. Oh, that's a great one in Super Bowl 13. And what led up to the play with Hollywood Henderson? Yes. That's a great one. Christopher 11. In case you don't know that out there in Steeler nation, it was, uh, what was it early in the fourth quarter Super Bowl 13 Dallas against Pittsburgh. It's 21-17. Pittsburgh's in, in front. It's third and 10 or something like third and 12, whatever it was. It was third and long. Uh, I think Pittsburgh was, was uh, there was a false start on the play. Pittsburgh uh, moved early. Somebody, a lineman moved early. But Henderson, Hollywood Henderson, the, the uh, uh, Cowboys uh, linebacker, still came in hard and, 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 and put Bradshaw on the ground. Uh, which was unnecessary, but that was that was Hollywood in those days. He's the one who said that Bradshaw couldn't spell cat if he spotted him the C and the A. That's that guy. So you know, Franco, Franco was always quiet and um, and, and and measured, but when he got mad, look out because this was this was a big guy. He was six foot two, two thirty. He, he he was as fast as a track star. He was wasn't somebody to trifle with, and he was challenging. You could see him if you watch that highlights of that game. He's 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 saying, hey, let's go out in the parking lot. You know. He's challenging him to, you know, and then they get in the huddle for this third and long call. And he says to Bradshaw, I want the ball, you know, which is, you know, he went the ball on third and 12, but he wanted the ball. He gave it to him right up the middle, 22 yard touchdown, 28, 17. 
it was that was a great a great moment in that in that game. And of course, they went on to win that game, thirty-five, thirty-one. But that that that's a great that's a great uh great uh example there, Christopher. Thank you for bringing that up. Claude Bishop, who who reinforces what I said earlier, the Super Bowl's all-time leading rusher. Exactly right. And he started in four. Think about that. He started in four Super Bowls. How many running backs can be durable enough to start in four Super Bowls? And yes, those four occurred within six years, but still, that's a tough position. And you know, the shelf life of your average running back, it's wait, wait, three years, maybe. So for him to start in, start in four Super Bowls, that says, that says a lot about his endurance and his durability and his talents. So that you know he was just a, such a great player such a great running back this one from Chick 46 who asked hey tony are you training for a marathon i am not i just like to go run two or three times a week i like the social aspect of it uh keeps me in shape i'm 50 now keeps me uh, uh somewhat in shape and i and, and i like to socialize I, I like to interact with people um of course, you have a few beers afterwards, and you ruin your progress <laughs> you made during the run. But it's all, it's all, it's all, it's nothing I take seriously. Like I always tell people, uh, running is the one thing maybe that I have I have zero ego about. I could care less if I finish last, if I'm by myself running, if I have the slowest time on earth. I don't care. I just like to do it because I know it's it's good for me, and I get to hang out with people afterwards and and, and drink a few. Uh, cold ones and this one from randy wagner who says i like to go to that game tomorrow but i'm in georgia anyone in the chat plan on being at this game yeah what about what, what about it live chat is anybody out there at this game that's gonna be a challenge i mean for you <laughs> for you because uh it's gonna be cold and i and i still have frostbite in my in my uh right big toe from the game i attended in 2013 against the uh, bengals on sunday night football it was the coldest uh, game I've ever been to. I know that. And it was brutal. And I had to spend half the game standing in the men's room just to stay warm. I didn't even want to see the game. That's how cold it was. So that's going to be a challenge. Was anybody going to that game? This one from Harvey Stone. Speaking of, of Pittsburgh's tie-breaking uh, problem, they lost every team in the AFC East. Ain't that right? And, and, and Harvey has a, a great picture of uh, him and Franco. I believe that's, that's, it's Harvey. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great picture, and um, yeah, that, that's that's what killed them. Um, had they had it been reversed, and they had swept everybody in the East, which was a tall order. You got the Bills, you got the the the, uh, the Dolphins. That's a that's a pretty formidable division. But had they swept that division and got and got swept by the NFC South, they'd have a much better chance of making the playoffs, even at six and eight. You know, as far as tiebreakers, anyway. But I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, sweeping the, the NFC South really did them no favors as far as the playoffs. This one from Just Me, and welcome, Just Me. And she says, My girlfriend flew from 68 Florida to zero Pittsburgh today. I, I, I presume to be in that, that, to go to that game. That's what, what I call real fan right there. And another one from Just Me, and she says, I worry about this game. We can't beat them very often. That's true. I mean, you look at their history with the Raiders, it's not a good one. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, there, there was that, that, that period where they were, they seemed to have the Chiefs number. Remember that Pittsburgh had the Chiefs number 
it seems like the Raiders have had their number for a long time, like going back to the late OOs, really. I mean, how many times have they beat, has Pittsburgh defeated the Raiders uh, over the last 15 years? I, I, I probably maybe count on two or three fingers. So it's going to, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And, and the Raiders are, are a pretty formidable uh, six and eight team. And isn't it funny how uh, their last game, how it ended that weird uh, uh, way they scored that last that game winning touchdown when it looked like it was going to go into overtime, uh, the Patriots were trying to like lateral, like ha- have some miracle of their own and, 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 and get a bunch of laterals and, and, and get down the field and they wound up throwing one too many laterals and, and, and the Raiders picked it off and took it home for a touchdown. So that's kind of weird and almost surreal in that, in that regard that, 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 uh, that they're coming into this game on the heels of, of, of an ending like that, almost a, a miraculous finish of their own. And Randy Wagner points out, and I've heard this too on a secondary market. The last time he checked, Tickets can be had for eleven bucks. Yeah, I mean it's, you know, it's 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 sad that that um, you know, it, it, it's like this. But you know, it's a it's, it's a perfect storm. No pun intended. I mean, you have you have uh, uh this this wicked weather, and, and you have Christmas Eve. Uh, you have the fact that there's six and eight. <laughs> you know, it's just so many things come together, came together at, at once, and and and. Uh, it's a shame that more people aren't coming out uh, to celebrate the life of Fra- uh, Franco and, and his, his career and, and everything. But, you know, and, and the fact that he passed away unexpectedly, that, that probably, you know, is going to keep some people away too. So. Here's one from Randy Wagner. I love this. Um, it was a crime that the NFL denied that game to be televised in Pittsburgh area in 1972, but that, that, those were the rules back then. You know, remember, this was like the very early, uh, this is the start of what we know today as, as, you know, the crazy Steeler fan base, the passionate Steeler fan base, people who will go from 68 degree Florida, like just me's friend, to zero degree Pittsburgh to see a game. Uh, it wasn't like that yet in 1972. Nobody knew they were going to win four Super Bowls and that the terrible tower would be created and all that other stuff. Uh, so, you know, it was a rule back then that, that it, Home games had to be blacked out if if they weren't um, sold out. So uh, that's just how it was. I guess there, there were a few too many seats uh, unsold for that game. This one from Steel Chick 46. Uh, she says, Tony, uh, referring to running, when I was running, the bear at the end of the race was always the best. The beer. I'm sorry, the beer. <laughs> yeah, the beer is, uh, yeah, the beer is, uh, that's my motivation. That and being social. This one from Just Me who says, we have Christmas dinner or Christmas Eve dinner at 6 p.m. I'll be sitting at the TV at the kids' table. That's another real fan right there. And we all know Just Me is a real fan. That's what I would do too. Harvey Stone says, Steelers need to cause a few turnovers and, of course, not turn it over for the win. That's going to be a challenge with that, with the weather being what it is. Steel Chick uh, says that she thinks TJ Watt can rattle Carr. Yeah, I think. I mean, he's due. He's due for a big breakout game since he uh, since he's been back. He really hasn't had that shining moment just yet. 
All right. I think I'm going to take some time now to, you know, say what an honor it is really. I know everybody does podcasts now. Like we got a million podcasts. It seems like I'm behind the curtain, but everybody in the world now does a podcast, right? Everybody. It seems like comedians, uh, actors, just regular everyday people like me. Everybody has a podcast. So it's not like it's just um, one in a million chance, but the fact that, that I get to talk about the Immaculate Reception on the 50th anniversary of the event. Somebody who grew up a huge Steeler fan, obviously, or I wouldn't be here talking to you if I wasn't a big fan. To me, it's just a, a tremendous honor. And, you know, um, my mom uh, said to me the other day, I remember seeing you in the, because I was born in 1972. That's another thing that, 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 I'm proud of for some, even though I had nothing to do with it. The fact that I was born in 1972, the year that this all started, this whole crazy Steeler nation thing started in 1972. That's the year I was born to me. I've always worn that as a badge of honor for some re weird reason. I've always felt proud of that as a Steeler fan. So the fact that I get to sit here and talk about the immaculate reception and yes, it, it is obviously a very sad and somber um, time with the passing of Franco. And, and, I, and I'm honored uh, to talk about that too. The fact that I get to share my, my thoughts about him too. I, I'm honored to do that as well. But I remember my mom saying, um, I remember watching you, seeing you in the bassinet when the game was on TV. And I said, no, you didn't. You didn't see the game on TV because it wasn't on in Pittsburgh, unless you were in Newcastle or Youngstown, Ohio or Steubenville, you weren't, you didn't see that game. And of course she wasn't in any of those places, but that's the funny thing about the Immaculate Reception is Literally millions of people claim that they saw it on TV <laughs> and it wasn't on in Pittsburgh and hundreds of thousands of people claim that they were at three river stadium to see the play. Of course, only 55, 60,000 people were there. So it's just one of those plays. It's the most unique play in the history of sports. In my opinion, I mean, there was nothing before it that was like it and nothing after it like it. I mean, you think about, about how it, 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 Everything transpired. I mean, it's it's fourth and long. There's 22 seconds left. It's hopeless. The, the, the Raiders had just scored to take a seven to six lead. with a minute and 17 left. And believe it or not, in 1972, a one point lead in the NFL was pretty darn big with it to go. You know, they didn't move the ball like they did like they do today. Today, you could have two or three uh, lead changes in a minute and 17 seconds, right? That's just how it is. But back then, I mean, that was you know, you pretty much have the game sewn up if you can take the lead with a minute and change left. So the fact that they're they're uh, fourth and long, there's 22 seconds left, they're, they're, what, 65, whatever it was, yards away, no timeouts, uh, you know, and Bradshaw's back there scrambling, trying to find anybody to throw it to. He can't really, like he even said, I just saw a black jersey at the last second after I backed out of one more sack and I just let it loose. And he gets knocked on his butt. And he doesn't know what's going on. And this ball is heading towards the legendary Frenchie Fuqua, who's uh, about to be uh, smacked in the next week by Jack Tatum, the, 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 um, the legendary safety of the, of the Raiders. And the ball comes bounding backwards. And, and Franco, who did who, the reason why he was where he was, because he was taught by Joe Paterno, his college coach, to always run to the ball. So he happened to be in, that, in the right place at the right time and just barely reached down uh, – to catch that ball before it hit the turf. And according to him, he would, he would never tell whether or not it hit the turf or not. To me, I like that mystery. 
and I like the mystery uh, that uh, Fuqua was always kept up about, you know, I'm not going to tell you if I touched it or not. And of course, you know, running to history and something I didn't realize um, until this week is that touchdown, the Immaculate Reception touchdown was the first touchdown in postseason history for the Steelers. I mean, you talk about a way to usher in a, what would eventually become a dynasty. You talk about a, what, what a way to, to, um, to uh, turn the page from those first 40 years of your franchise's existence, which were nothing. Pittsburgh did nothing for 40 years. Nothing. No, no playoff wins. One playoff appearance in 40 years. I mean, they were the laughing stock. They were the pirates of, you know, people make fun of the pirates. That's who the Steelers were back in 19, in, in, in the early 70s. I mean, by night, that's who they were entering 1972. That's what people thought of them, right? They were a laughing stock of a franchise. And I can't think of, of, of a better way to, to, um, to usher in a dynasty than what, what, what happened on that play with Franco Harris and Terry Bradshaw and Frenchie Fuqua and all the, the controversy that surrounded it, the fact that that so many people reacted the same way to that play, meaning they didn't see it. Everybody claimed that they saw it, that they were there, but even the people that actually were there didn't see it, including the players, because as soon as Tatum and and, and Frenchie collided and the ball went ricocheting backwards, everybody just went, oh, the game's over. And then the Raiders went, oh, we won. But nobody actually saw what happened because, because uh, uh, nobody expected Franco to come out of nowhere to quote Jack Fleming, the former play-by-play uh, man, on on a like a knight in shining armor, he came in and uh, on a white stallion, I should say, and he came in and, and and saved the day. So, to me, it's an incredible honor, in spite of of everything that happened with the sad passing of Franco. It's an incredible honor to to be able to talk about that play with you guys tonight. And and uh, you know, last thing I'll say is you know, rest in peace, Franco. And 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 you were such a, a, a uh, important figure in, in millions of people's lives. Yeah, you know whether you even knew it or not, you were you were that important. And and uh, part of the reason why we're all here, sitting here, me sitting here, people in the live chat, uh, the millions of fans around the world, you you played a huge part in that. So uh, we're always going to remember you. So on that note, I hope you guys all have a, a, a merry Christmas, a happy holiday. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, I hope you enjoy the game on, on, uh, on Saturday and until I talk to you on Monday, have a Merry Christmas and go Steelers. Goodbye, everybody. Time to stop and check it out.